Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus. In a good way. No one died. Mean Girls. Made at PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing. Deep left field. This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up and welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, April 20th. Frank Sample joined by the Chris's Towers and the Welsh. Today on the show, we're going to recap all of Wednesday's action, more waiver wire pitchers, we'll break down Mason Miller's debut, and much more. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating. Really appreciate it, and it helps a lot. Uh, let's uh, jump right in. Players of the night. I don't believe it! My oh my, from the legendary Mariners broadcaster, David Niehaus. And with that, Towers, we'll start with you. Oh my goodness gracious, player of the night. Scott White, who said to start Johan Oviedo at Coors Field. I would not have done that. And uh, Scott turns out to be correct. Johan Oviedo had an excellent start on Wednesday night. It's Wednesday, right? I always forget my schedule's weird. <laughs> sure. Uh, six strikeouts, one earned run, three hits allowed with three walks, only three hard hit balls in this outing. 13 swinging strikes on 84 pitches. 10 of those, of course, coming on his slider. It's a really, really good pitch. It's been really, really effective for him. I still have my concerns about how sustainable Johan Oviedo's performance is so far because I'm not sure... Uh, even with you know a, a fastball that averages 97 miles per hour, I don't know how good any of his other pitches are beyond the slider. But the results have been excellent. He he solved Coors Field. I I do think it's worth pointing out just as a general rule that Coors Field is such a weird environment that like good or bad, I don't ever know how much you can really take from a start there just because it's so different than any other place and it's like it's sort of random when pitchers do well, but. He did well, you know, and, and that's continuing a trend for Johan Oviedo. It's been a very impressive little run so far for him. And uh, yeah, I, I has to be, I think, 100% rostered at this point. Johan Oviedo currently 66% rostered. He is a SPARP on CBS, so he has RP eligibility for those who play in points leagues. And you can beat the waiver wire by adding him now because it looks like he does have two starts next week up against the Dodgers, another test, and at the Washington Nationals. So kind of has those uh, Jekyll and Hyde matchups going on for next week. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll save the comparisons for later because I have a bunch of other pitchers I want to talk about as well. And we'll compare Oviedo to... Mackenzie Gore and Kyle Bradish and, and Mason Miller as well. We'll save that for just a little bit. Uh, but yes, Johan Oviedo has looked really, really good so far 
awesome slider. Strikeouts have been there, keeping the walks down. You know, and look, the, the Pirates we'll are actually out. the Pirates are actually hitting the ball so far. So yeah, getting some run support too. We'll point out. He's had the one huge strikeout game, the 10 strikeout game. Very impressive against the Cardinals. I don't want to take away from it. Strikeouts haven't been quite there. The other four or other three starts, it's been four, five, and six. 15 strikeouts and 17 in the third inning. So, you know, just something to keep in mind. We're dealing with very small sample sizes. We're dealing with a guy who has never performed anywhere close to this level uh, as a full-time starter. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. But it's been very, very impressive so far. You know what I'm, I'm curious about when I think of like Ovi, Oviedo when you said he's a must start. I almost want to take like who are all the like really bad teams overall that are going to just struggle with wins and like how many must start pitchers exist out of all of those guys. So it's like the A's. No, oh, yeah. I mean, there no. could be an argument. Do you want to put the Pirates in there? You're saying Oviedo. What are the other like really bad teams? The Tigers. Is there a, is Eduardo Rodriguez a must? No, I don't think he's a must roster now. Okay. So what's another, what's another like trash team? Would you, I don't know if you put the Reds in there. Right Royals. Now? I don't think the Royals have one. Nationals. We'll get to that. Nationals. Nationals. I can't, the Gore. So I mean like what Gore I'm saying and is Gray like, are in, in interesting, but I don't know. Certainly not must start for Gore and Gray. So is Oviedo the number one bad team pitcher? Is what you're saying? Uh, Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo, yeah, are are in that. If, okay, if you're putting the Reds in there, um, okay. you know, uh, yeah, I, I think those are probably the the other best options. It depends how you feel about like. I think the White Sox are better than they've been so far, but. You know, they've also got a better yeah. offense. Like I kind of yeah. look at it as like not just bad pitching staffs, but like just bad offensive support yeah. that's kind of around them and tools. So, well, then the Marlins in that uh, <laughs> in that category, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're, we're not going to we're not going to put Sandy Alcantara quite in that territory. Yet. Yeah. He is going to excluded. So it's like Oviedo is in a small group of what we would probably typically not suggest to people like, yep. you know, Pitchers on bad teams. That's right. Welsh, oh my goodness gracious, for you, you're actually going down a different path here. Who do you have? Oh my, Madison Bumgarner, how are you still here? Oh my, <laughs> you know what? Nothing is surprising of what happened with Madison Bumgarner, uh, except that he's still pitching. That's about it. So, oh my goodness gracious, how do the Diamondbacks continuously let this happen? How do they let him give up all that, all those runs? You know what's awesome, too, is he started the game. Madison Bumgarner started the game. Two relief pitchers on the Diamondbacks ended up having more swing and whiffs, more whiffs than Madison Bumgarner actually had in this game. He looked as bad as he always does. He had four total whiffs on 34 swinged uh, pitches, and 80 total pitches were in there. It's garbage. Um, the fastball, not good. Curveball, not good. Every pitch, not good. And it just comes to like it comes to a head. And, and finally, what you're seeing. Let you guys know some of the Diamondbacks uh, radio personalities that are around here that yeah, I would call them like they're fed. They're fed from the, you know, when the team mm -hmm. and people start to give them information when they speak, it's because team personnel are starting to tell them. And one of these guys, John Gambadoro, said there is no chance under any circumstance Madison Bumgarner pitches this next game, whether it's a ghost injury or they completely cut it off. Also, he had that little incident with Contreras. He's just such he's just he is such a cancer to baseball right now. I want him to go away and this team and a Diamondbacks team. I've, we've all said this and I'm just not saying anything new here, but if they take themselves seriously to be winners, there's no chance that this guy can continuously go out there while Brandon Brandon fought too. 
of the whole thing, you know, long-term about him, but it's interesting. His stuff plus numbers haven't been great so far in the minors. I was looking at, you know, Cyrus's um, stuff plus, but no pitcher had better stuff plus that went into the 80 pitch range. It's just very interesting. All of the pitches in high stuff plus numbers are guys that go about 50 pitches per game. Brandon Fott is averaging 87 pitches a game. Guess what? 87 Brandon Fott pitches, whatever he does, is better than Madison Bumgarner. So why he's there, I will not understand. Oh my goodness. You're muted though, Towers. And the way his contract is set up, he's due 23 million this year. Then it drops to 14 million. And that's a lot of money. You know, the, the Diamondbacks aren't the Red Sox or the Yankees, but like the fact that that contract was front loaded, yeah, it probably makes it a lot easier to get out of. I, I would be shocked if they cut him uh, right now, but he yeah. will not take a bullpen roll. And it's a clear cut that he will not take a bull. There's no chance yeah. he's going to take a bullpen roll. The best way that this can happen, and this is what they should do, is they've got to phantom injury him. There's just Man. no other way around it because he's going to be a huge distraction to the team. And, you know, the, the positive that they've had going for themselves this entire time is that Brandon Fott, not only in the minors, it's very funny. I actually spoke to Brandon uh, Fott one day where he was piggybacking Madison Bumgarner that day during a spring training and that has continued in on the season where he is kind of the same schedule as Madison Bumgarner probably not a super crazy thing that the Diamondbacks did here so the expectation is is this has got to be the last straw literally the only thing that anybody can clamor towards is the money and at some point winning teams have to look past the money just a tiny bit especially when that person is causing, single-handedly causing losses. This is a negative war player. Madison Bumgarner got to go. And Brandon Fott, he did get knocked around in his first start at AAA this season, but then he's been much better in the past two. Four and two-thirds, one run, five strikeouts, and then his most recent start, five innings, two runs, five strikeouts in that one. And correct me if I'm wrong, Welsh, but I just checked the Reno box score and... He didn't start on Wednesday night, so I assume he's probably going to start tomorrow on Thursday. Is that it? Yeah, that's right. It's funny. While we were doing all this, too, I was actually going to the Savant like leaderboard page to see if he was up on there. And I'd, I'm guessing he's going to probably go tomorrow, which here's something I would watch. Here's something I would watch if he does pitch tomorrow. Let's see if there's a pitch count. Maybe, mm -hmm. you know, he's been going 87 pitches a game. What if you see him go 50? That might be calculated and be a little bit of a telling story if the Diamondbacks don't announce something for next week. So Brandon Fott is 39% rostered on CBS right now, and I know that he is in Scott's top five prospects to, to stash right now, the top pitcher to stash. So if you're looking for that next guy, we have, we've had so many call-ups already this season. We'll talk about Mason Miller in just a little bit, but Brandon Fott is that next name that you want to stash, uh, especially if, look, if you play in a points league, Brandon Fott threw a bunch of innings last year. I think he's someone that if he pitches well, they're going to let him go six. He's going to give you quality starts. He actually led the minors in strikeouts last season as well. So just so much to like about Brandon Fott. Make sure to stash him now if you can. Oh my goodness gracious for me is Luis Garcia of the Astros. I know it's like five different Luis Garcias, but he was off to a slow start and we were getting some questions, some tweets, people asking, what do we do with Luis Garcia? He's off to a slow start. He's been like rock solid in his career. He's not an ace, but he's just like your prototypical SP3, SP4 mm -hmm. in the rotation. And he pitches on a really good team. And he was fantastic on Wednesday night up against the Blue Jays. Seven shutout with nine strikeouts, 23 swinging strikes on 92 pitches. That is a number we usually see from the likes of Jacob deGrom. 19, uh, 19 of them. 
with his cutter. Nineteen crazy. Nineteen cut whiffs on thirty-four swings. That's a fifty-six percent whiff rate. That is like a thirty-five percent swinging strike rate overall. Those have different denominators, which is confusing. What's the highest? What's the highest single pitch? Like, I would love to know. Like, what is the highest single pitch in recent history? Um, of whiffs like a fastball or a curveball like what is the that that's an insane number off of the cutter that seems like that's got to be near the top yeah that is a tremendous and it's always been a great pitch for Luis Garcia even entering this star while he's gotten off to you know a a rough star overall his cutter this year has a 42 percent whiff rate and it's always been a really good pitch for him so I don't know if this is something he can maintain throwing that pitch over 50 percent of the time consistently but man, using it more, it looks like that could be a recipe for success for him. He kept the walks down in this start, still averaging 10.3K per nine on the season. And as I mentioned, he's been rock solid. And I think he this is just kind of his start to get back on track. So if you were looking to buy low, I would say that window has probably closed. I, I don't think you should try and sell based on this. I think you're probably going to wind up getting what you expected out of Luis Garcia. I guess the one caveat with him is coming into the year, he was one of those pitchers that You know, he had the long delivery and he's rocking back and forth. And I guess we kind of had some question marks about how that would work because he had to change his delivery this season with the new rules being implemented. Welsh, is that something that worries you when it comes to Luis Garcia? Yeah, I think so. I I think like there's a lot of like overall worries with pitchers in general about like the pitch clock adjusting things, not to make it about this, but another one we've kind of seen is maybe like Alec Manoa. We were talking about this today on uh, ITL. He struggled so much and he was kind of a, a slow pace of game type of guy. And that maybe comes back to a little bit of a weight question and how he's adjusting in between. This obviously wasn't that with Luis Garcia, but he had to go from rocking the baby to making quicker pitches and decisions. And it's like we're kind of seeing full throttle. I think that's a worry. Anybody that has anything unique uh, or, you know, on a negative side of unique to um, moving quickly, that was a worry. And Luis Garcia was the poster child of this. I don't think I actually would have put Alec Manoa in that. So, yeah, I was worried about that. But the adjustments have come. And they've come at the expense also of a pitch becoming plus plus at this point. If that that whiff rate is going to continue to go on with a cutter, it's going to give him the arsenal and the ability to move through hitters at a degree that really might be a buy at this point. You know, maybe Luis Garcia can be purchased in the trade market for a little bit less than you would actually think what his production is actually getting you. So you're not looking to sell high, right? I mean, I'm always open to selling high, but that singular pitch I think is really interesting on a fantastic team for a guy that can go deep into games. And one of the things we kind of like always picked at him about was that slow pace and that's kind of changed and he's adjusted to it well. So I think it's actually working in his favor. So I'm open to both. If someone wants to give me like, you know, original Luis Garcia price, let's go. If someone wants to overpay because of these big numbers, we're talking about him. I'm probably also listening to that as well. I just think he can overperform what his name brought in in uh, draft season. Okay. So I have Luis Garcia ranked at SP 59. Scott has him at SP 53. Uh, Chris Towers, you have him down at SP 69. So if anyone's willing to pay, like, I don't know, I need to move him up. Yeah. Top 50. No, not even like top 45, top 40 value. Then, okay, maybe look into it. But That's probably not going to be the case for Luis Garcia. On the other side of that star, I do want to give a shout out to Jose Barrios, who got back on track here. Seven innings, two runs, only three strikeouts going up against Houston. Incredibly efficient. He only needed 77 pitches to get through seven innings against the Astros lineup. 
obviously it's you know not the, the Astros lineup we're used to, but still had 10 swinging strikes, and he leaned all the way into that slurve that he throws. He threw it 50, uh, 49% of the time, excuse me, and that was only 35% usage entering the start. And don't look now, but Brios has allowed two earned runs or fewer in back-to-back starts. I don't know that he's quote-unquote back, but these are encouraging signs. So if anyone dropped him, like someone dropped him in my Tout Wars League, that's a uh, 12-team head-to-head points league with Roto-style lineup. So it, it goes pretty deep, and I actually picked him up. And in Tout Wars, you pick someone up, you have to start him. So I start him this week, and damn, I, I feel pretty good at what I got from, <laughs> uh, from Jose Barrio. So uh, yeah, I think we're kind of building some momentum with him. Let's talk about Unfortunately, some... Unfortunately, I can't find a way to search for the most swings and misses by one pitch type. Uh, I was going to give you so much. Like I was a brother's bow. Like we're not worthy. Cause I was like, how are you going to find that? (laughs) That James Paxton got 25 swings and misses with his fastball in a start back in 2018. So there's a fun fact. Wow. Not really useful, but just impressive. Uh, I think it's super impressive. So yeah, someone find that for us. Big Maple coming soon to a Red Sox <laughs> rotation near you. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> mm, he, he pitched in relief today and gave up like five hits in a row. Oh, didn't did get he? an inning. Did yeah. he actually? Wow. I didn't know. Yeah. I always see him in the dugout. I just assumed that he is always on the IL. I didn't even hear that he was back. Well, uh, I would say good for <laughs> well, you. No, he, but, it uh, was a rehab appearance. Oh, a rehab appearance. Okay. Even worse. <laughs> Let's uh, get into those waiver wire pitchers. We mentioned Johan Oviedo already. Let's put him up against uh, some other names that look good. Mackenzie Gore turned in another quality start up against the Orioles. Six innings, three runs, seven strikeouts, 18 swinging strikes on 103 pitches. The only issue for Gore recently has been the walks. Four walks exactly in three of four starts. But I've been pretty impressed by the whiff numbers for him. Kyle Bradish, awesome in his return at the Nationals. Six shutout with six strikeouts there. 11 swinging strikes on 92 pitches. And Griffin Canning. Solid once again at the Yankees, five and a third, two runs, four strikeouts, 14 swinging strikes on 100 pitches. That is a great ratio. He's using a four pitch mix and he averaged 94.5 miles per hour on his fastball. That's more than he's ever averaged on the fastball. So I think this is really encouraging stuff. Chris Towers, we'll start with you this time. How would you rank uh, Oviedo, Mackenzie Gore, Kyle Bradish, and Griffin Canning? You are muted, sir. <sighs> Thanks Oviedo at the top. Uh, Gore. I'll give Canning a third on that list. And then Damn. Uh, no love for Kyle Bradish. Huh? Kyle Bradish. Yeah, it's I mean, look, it's it's a good park. It's a decent situation. Suddenly Baltimore. But I I don't I don't know if there's a, a ton of upside there. So I'll, I'll go with the other three guys ahead of him. But I'm I'm keeping an eye on him for sure. Um you know, the swing strike rate in this start was pretty good, but not overwhelming. Gore, I really want to believe, but he's just, he's so fastball heavy that I like, he's so fastball heavy and the control is so middling that like, I wonder how sustainable the, the swing strike rate is. He did get nine swings and misses with the fastball today, which is very impressive for a fastball. Um, but yeah, that that's my only concern. It's it's like what we saw last year, where even when he was doing well early on, it was just like, how sustainable is this? The walks are still a problem, sixteen percent over the course of his four starts. So, I, I think he's a little behind Oviedo, but there, I don't want to say there might be more upside there, just because Oviedo is showing quite a bit of upside here. But I, I do think Gore, you know, has a path to 
having something click and, and turning into a really, really good pitcher. Bradish is another beat the waiver wire two star pitcher for next week too. It looks like he's got the Red Sox and at the Tigers next week. So solid ma- good. solid matchups for him. Twenty six percent rostered. Griffin Canning. If you're just looking for a a single start streamer for next week, it looks like he's going up against the Oakland A's. That is a fantastic matchup. Great. Spe- speaking of those Oakland A's, let's talk about the debut of Mason Miller, who we were so excited about to to talk about yesterday. Made his debut, which by the way, that now marks. Three weeks in a row recording on a Welsh Wednesday night that we got a prospect, a pretty big prospect, making their debut when you're here. So I absolutely love it. Uh, let's get Brandon Fott on next Wednesday, right? That would. I mean, it could line up. You never know. Let's, we could get that line up. I don't know. Let's make it happen. Uh, Mason Miller up against the Cubs. Four and a third. Two runs allowed. Five strikeouts for him. Ten swinging strikes on 81 pitches. Five of those came on the fastball. He had a uh, mostly three-pitch mix. 63% fastball usage, which he averaged 99.4 miles per hour on. 22% slider. 14% cutter. 15 of his fastball balls were 100 plus miles per hour 42 percent rostered looks like he will line up for two stars next week as well uh welsh what did you see from mason miller and where does he rank amongst that group that we were just talking about yeah so i mean there's a lot that's just like like mind-blowing about the whole process because i've been pretty vocal lately that like mason miller is super exciting he's someone i talked about in the afl because this guy hit well, i remember the day he hit 102 in the afl and everyone was buzzing about it they're like whoa mm-hmm. who, you know who is this guy that's uh, putting up these big big velocity numbers but the thing i can't overcome and i don't know how it plays out he's just 30, not even 30 professional innings. Now he does, but he didn't before this. And this is a cross since he's been with this organization. He got a few in the AFL and this is a bad, horrifically bad team. And I just don't know how this is going to play out. I guess it doesn't matter in the short term if we want to look at it because he was good. Um, He did do something that looked like it was a little bit different. He's kind of been a fastball cutter and then trying to implement the slider a lot more. It looks like the comfortability is there and he threw that slider more than the cutter in this one. But he's like just big spin numbers. He attacks the zone. He feels very Hunter Greenish mm-hmm. in retrospect, except this is a like in the first year because Hunter Green is, you know, almost mixed in with the slider. Mason Miller does not have that. He was 63% fastball in this because he's got this big overpowering fastball. So at the end of the day, it's all exciting. One walk, the command was not a problem in this. But overall, I would say watch the command long term. He mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of, um, I, I don't even know if I said this to you, Frank. We were talking about Lodolo the other day. And he reminds me of Lodolo in the thing, this is what I'm worried about. How deep will Mason Miller get to go into games long term yeah. here? Are they going to put a pitch count on him? He's a guy that throws a lot of pitches, big fastballs get strikeouts like Lodolo and Lodolo can be 80 pitches into the fourth or something like that. And they let him go a hundred so he can get qualified wins. I don't know if Mason Miller is going to get to that. And that's my worry about the value. So kind of putting it all in. And by the way, I feel bad because I feel like I'm the only person that's like a little poo pooey about him. Everyone's like, Oh my God, our savior's here. Mason Miller. Gif, gif, (laughs) gif. Everyone's going nuts about it. I'm just like a little bit tapered down. I think from an excitement standpoint, I think you could put Miller at two. I want to put Gore at one, but I'm going to put him at two because I'm really impressed with Oviedo, especially with that slider usage. I think that's Mm -hmm. just such a good key for young pitchers. It's what I wanted Dre Jameson to do, throw the slider more than the fastball. So I'll go Oviedo. I'll go Gore. 
And then I think I'll put Miller right in that group. Mm-hmm. And then I'm with uh, I'm with Chris. It's like, you know, Canning, Bradish is kind of on the back end. But from an excitement standpoint, Miller has the highest upside. But I just don't see how he pitches the whole year. But what the hell do I know? And, and I think those are all very, very reasonable concerns that like I will worry about if he becomes 100% rostered. And then we start talking about, hey, should I trade him for... Yeah. Player X, you know, like right now when we're talking about a guy who's what, 20% rostered, 30% rostered, 41, uh, 41% rostered. <laughs> the the long term upside is not really the question. You know, it, it starts to become the question when you're asking, should we trade him for Luis Garcia, you know, or, or somebody in that range, you know, uh, a Reed Detmers or a Patrick Sandoval, like somebody who has plenty of upside in their own right. That's when it's like, okay, no, that that's, he's got injury concerns. He's got innings concerns. He's got injury concerns because he's, you know, struggled to stay healthy since being drafted. And so, yeah, those are real concerns for uh, another day, I think. Yeah. My concerns are about the chaos. At the end of the day, you go pick them up. I picked them up in a league. You do some fab. I personally I would not drop more fab than I would have on Taj Bradley. I think I would probably do maybe 60% of that. Whatever that is in your mind, I was more aggressive on Taj Bradley than most. A couple people like, why do you spend so much early? Taj Bradley's amazing. I'm not (laughs) treating him like Taj Bradley. So you should pick him up and you should try to get him. And you can worry about those things later. But for you guys that start asking the questions, hey, should I drop Reed Detmers? You know, should I drop this guy and that guy? And what chaos should I do? That's what people are asking. What should I do this? That's where I'm like tapered back of like, is he going to go five? Like how if, if he had 15 starts being in Oakland, a and a guy that is going to probably have a hard time getting into the fifth. Like how many wins do we think he's going to have? And that is a stat we have to think about. How much run support is he going to have? And will the command ever be an issue? I am being way too dad about it. Just go pick him up, have fun, but don't go crazy. <laughs> Just like, I'm telling you guys, you stay out late. Uh, come home, keep your cell phone on and don't stay out too late and be safe. That's what I'm telling you with Mason Miller. That's your dad talking. Chris, did I hear some kind of like cat fight in the background? The cats, what was are, going the on? cats decided to start fighting, which is usually, <laughs> they, they got so mad about my Mason. They're yeah, like, they're, they're usually great. They're usually sweethearts. But yeah, for some reason, they just they, they just started fighting. I apologize for that's the an uh, that's an omen. For the, cat fight. the literal cat Mason fight. Miller. Drop all your fab on Mason Miller. Don't listen to me. The cat. I started a cat fight because of it. Two pitchers that I had as uh, potential drops. Brady Singer hit hard once again. Mike Clevenger, he was quite bad. I just I wasn't buying it all along because like the strikeout to walk numbers are not good, and his mm-hmm. underlying metrics are are quite bad as well. Uh, Chris Towers, are you okay dropping Singer and Clevenger for? I don't know all of these names basically. Yep. Oviedo, Mason Miller. My cat just jumped on my desk, so you saw her tail. If you're watching, that was uh, approval. I'm totally fine. Like Singer, I thought there was some interesting stuff. Obviously, the the stretch last year, um, and then he he was another Royals guy who came out throwing harder. Uh, the extension was longer. All these changes, but his slider's been awful so far. It's been getting hit hard. It hasn't really been getting whiffs. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's fine to drop him. Oh my god! I don't know if you've looked. He is the bottom one percentile in average EV, 
bottom yeah. one percentile hard hit, bottom two percentile and expected ERA, bottom two and expected batting average, X slug, and bottom five percent barrel. Remember when we all loved all those Royals pitchers? We're like, oh, Chris Boobich and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Remember in those days when those easy yeah. And, days and the were- thing with Singer is like he he really leaned into the the slider last season and, and it helped fuel the the breakout. And it's just. It's not been there for him. Mm-hmm. Let's take right. our first break, and when we return, we'll talk about a few other pitchers here on Fantasy Baseball Today. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I'm a I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Ever dream about buying Fantasy Baseball Today merch? Well, now you can with a brand new Paramount Shop, which offers a mountain of merch from the Paramount shows and movies that you love. Shop official apparel, drinkware, and accessories inspired by over 150 fan-favorite titles, Paw Patrol, Yellowstone, Top Gun, Star Trek, South Park, SpongeBob SquarePants, and your favorite CBS Sports podcasts like Pick 6 Fantasy Football Today and, of course, Fantasy Baseball Today. Scan the QR code in the top right corner if you're watching on YouTube or head to ParamountShop.com. Paramount Shop, where products are Paramount. A couple other pitchers that I had, not nearly as exciting as the ones we've already mentioned. Eric Lauer had a strong start at the Mariners, seven and two-thirds, two runs, four strikeouts in that one. Cal Quantrill turned in a scoreless start at the Tigers. He did leave early because he took a line drive off of his leg. Taiwan Walker has now turned in back-to-back quality starts. He was at the White Sox in this one. Six and a third, two runs, three strikeouts for him. And uh, Nick Martinez had his best start of the season uh, up against the Braves of all teams. Seven shutout with six strikeouts. And I did have one more. Uh, Marco Gonzalez, where did this come from? No clue. Six innings, two runs, nine strikeouts for him. Welsh, anything with these uh, slightly less exciting pitchers, Marco Gonzalez, Nick Martinez, Taiwan Walker, Cal Quantrill, and Eric Lauer. Eric Lauer is always interesting. Remember last year he had that like insane early season run where his fastball was like mm-hmm. elite reliever-esque. It was like the most, do- it was the most dominant single fastball of any starting pitcher. So like he can tear that thing on. So I guess I'm always kind of maybe watching him. Taewon Walker. Taewon Walker is the one that I kind of like, I keep going back to. Um, hard hit has gone down. K percentage kind of wavering. The only thing that has been bad is he's just been walking a whole bunch. But I think early season on stuff has taken away. He's on great team context in there as well, by the way. I mean, obviously um, the Phillies are going to do great work in it. And um, overall, you know, the, one of the bigger changes I guess we've seen is the split finger has been a decent amount more. He was a primary just by a little last year fastball. He's gone and it was uh, 29 to 27% mix. It's 36% on the split finger this year and 25% on the fastball, both 
better batting average against so far this year. So his primary pitches, play, uh, pit, uh, hitters are not really getting a hold of. He's got a great team behind him. So I kind of like Taewon Walker. I kind of target him uh, and, you know, half decent matchups as a guy that you can play bets on and try to get into spot starts. Speaking of matchups, if you are just looking to stream any of these guys for next week, Eric Lauer looks like he's going up against the Tigers, and Cal Quantrill has the Rockies. That start is in Cleveland, so obviously you get the Rockies on the road. That's much better. Last thing on Lauer is, uh, I agree, that fastball was great last year. So far, it is down nearly three miles per hour compared to last season. He is averaging 90.6 miles per hour compared to 93.3 last season. Let's get into some news and notes. Crazy scene out in Los Angeles as Max Scherzer was ejected for a foreign substance, either on his hand or glove. Both Scherzer and Buck Showalter argued that it was a mixture of rosin and sweat, which would be legal technically. Uh, Scherzer is now facing a 10-game suspension as well. Something that I saw on Twitter is that apparently Phil Cuzzy, umpire Phil Cuzzy, has been the umpire in all three of the ejections that have taken place so far. So I, I don't know if it's clearly just something about him. Chris Towers, like, do you have any take on this? Because I feel like it was a pretty wild scene out there in L.A. Uh, I don't really know what to think. I mean, th there's been a lot both towards the end of last season and then in spring training this year talk of talk about pitchers have figured out something to get their spin rates back. You know, just league wide spin rates have not quite gotten back to like the spider tack era, but they've been higher than they were immediately post crackdown. And whether it's sweat and rosin or sunscreen, whatever, uh, there there's clearly something going on. And there was a report earlier in the season or before the season that MLB was going to crack down on it. It could be just be Scherzer got unlucky. Um, but you know, the the way this works is they they confiscate the glove and they'll test it, and you know, that'll be the determination to see if he's going to be suspended for 10 games. So we'll we'll find out, but I certainly hope he isn't suspended for the teams where I have Max Scherzer. That's that's about all I can say. I don't like I don't have concern that like, oh, no, Max Scherzer's not going to be good anymore like that. I don't think that's a concern here. One thing that annoys me most about just umpires and referees in sports is the lack of consistency. Mm -hmm. And this happened with Domingo Herman a couple of days ago over the weekend where he was warned about something that was on his hands. Go wash it off. He came back out for the next inning and Apparently, it was an issue again, and they left mm -hmm. him in the game. And, you know, the Twins manager, Rocco Baldelli, got ejected as a result. I don't blame him, but there needs to be some consistency. Like, if Phil Cuzzy is enforcing this and other umpires aren't, then why not? Like, that's just yeah. the thing that annoys me so much about, like... That's what I was going to mention, yeah. by the way, because I think that was, like... I think a lot of people were kind of assuming that, you, know, you said the spin rates are back up, that there might be just some agreement across the board that, hey, this... Whatever this is, I don't know what this is, by the way, but whatever this is, is going to be accepted, and that is fueled by that whole Domingo Herman situation, where yeah. they were just like, hey, I told you to get rid of... You know, they're, like, openly talking about it, nothing's happening, no big issue, and then, to your point, you then have, you know, the um you know the the rosin police in whoever it was today and just absolutely losing their mind and freaking out and that consistency between ums it's a really bad look it's a bad look obviously mm -hmm. it should be fixed have some whether you're using it or not i kind of don't care i'm one of those people i just if you're going to use some substances just be consistent have the ums be consistent but this is just like a bad look overall and sure lost his mind too also i swear on my kids he was swearing my kids that i didn't <laughs> use it and I really hope that's going to be the case when they uh, check out that glove, too. 
Yep. Trevor Rogers left his start early and was diagnosed with left forearm tightness. And Welsh, immediately my brain goes, Yuri Perez. Are we going to get Yuri Perez? And I just checked. And so far, his first two starts have not been so great in the minors. Yeah, I don't think he's, uh, I mean, he's definitely a possibility. And I love all the work that he's done with this team and with Sandy Alcantara in the offseason. But I think he's just like a, I think it's just too early for them to put mm-hmm. that, especially with where Rogers is going. It's fun, but. You know, he's not in that conversation. Like we're talking a little like Ricky Tiedemann is someone that might be up soon, but he's only had two starts since his injury. I think we're like a month away from really getting to focus. Cause all we've been focusing on is what we've been focusing on like Brandon fought and Mason Miller and everyone's everybody on the planet's focused on Tanner Bybee in about a month. We'll start turning our attention to like Yuri Perez and Ricky Tiedemann. Those will be the guys we'll start thinking about. It's a little too early, but I agree with you on the Trevor Rogers. It kind of gets your brain going. The fact that Perez is repeating double A, I think, is the the sign that he's probably like he probably needs a good stretch before he's really in consideration. Because yeah. and he had the four oh eight ERA at double A last season. It was nineteen. His strikeout numbers were amazing, but you know, they probably want him to to prove he's over overmatched for or over qualified for double A before they before they call him up, I would guess. Jorge Mateo was removed uh, from Wednesday's game due to right hip discomfort, which is unfortunate. He's mm. been one of the best players in baseball so far this season. Initial test on Carlos Rodon's back came back normal. The Yankees are still waiting on a few other tests before determining the next steps for Rodon. Mariners GM Jerry Depoto believes that Robbie Ray could return in the middle of May. But that's just a guess at this point. Ray hasn't resumed a throwing program yet. I'm not really sure how Jerry Depoto came up with this timetable. If he really has nothing to back it up, but this was a report, so I am reporting it to you. No surprise, uh, but Taj Bradley will remain in the Rays rotation and is scheduled to make his next start Monday against the Astros. That has it been weird at all? Can I just add? Has it been weird that the it, like every start is like, yeah, we're gonna start in this time, guys? Why is it? I, I think it's the weird. That there's no just, commitment. I don't know what's going on with the Rays. Like how long it took them to put springs on the IL. How long it took them to confirm the Bradley outs. was coming up. Yeah, it's it's. It's very strange. I, like, I, I don't really understand it. I've been just super weirded out by that situation where there was just like, yeah. hey, good news. I think uh, Mark, uh, I'm forgetting his name. The Mark um, Topkin. The beat report. Top, yeah, he was just like, hey, good news. He is going to start this day. And it's like, yeah, isn't he going to start all the days? Why isn't he going to be the guy? It doesn't, at this point at least, I don't need to be told that Tosh Bradley's going to make his next turn in the rotation. But apparently we do. Apparently we yeah. do with the Rays. So just yeah, I don't yeah. Know, keep that in mind. You all own him I mean, now, look, so you don't really have to worry, I guess. Maybe they can save $40,000 by sending him down for a week, and maybe that's what it is. I don't know. <laughs> sounds, like <laughs> would, a, sounds like a Marlins move. Would not surprise me with Tampa Bay. Corbin Burns is still scheduled to start Sunday's game against the Red Sox. Good news on him. Ramon Laureano was placed on the IL with a left groin strain. Stalling Marte left Wednesday's game due to neck stiffness. Carlos Carrasco Asco is dealing with a small bone chip that is causing swelling and discomfort in his right elbow. He went on the IL on Tuesday. Garrett Mitchell was placed on the IL with a shoulder subluxation and will go for an MRI on Thursday. And Welsh, again, uh, the the prospect uh, senses are tingling. I started thinking about Sal Freelich, but Me apparently too? he was not in the lineup on Wednesday because he was dealing with a jammed thumb. Don't like that. Not good. I watched, by the way, that live happen. It was in extra innings, and Garrett Mitchell was trying to launch the ball from center field to throw them out uh, at home. And, it, I mean, he threw it, and he went down grabbing that shoulder. Ooh, so I don't think that's – it's not going to be anytime bad. soon. Yeah. So I actually think, regardless of, like, the jam finger thing, 
it might be sneaky to go and, you know, get Sal Freelich in there just because I fear that this could be maybe a longer thing. Cause those type of injuries, I mean, maybe again, I'm wrong. Like, that type of like shoulder thing, I don't think that's going to be like a short term thing. And they might might look for like a more long term option. And South Freelick is that guy that everyone was pissed when uh, Joey Weimer got the call up because Freelick has absolutely been dominating, was great in the WBC. So maybe this news will give you an opportunity to sneak him on a roster before it becomes official, maybe over the next week or so. And Just in, me speculating. And in case people are wondering, what can I get from South Freelick? Mm-hmm. It's I've heard Stephen Kwan, but better comps. Like it's hard to say because Stephen Kwan has actually been really good so far in the majors. But that is the type of player that you're hoping for with South Freelick. Alex yeah. Wood was placed on the IL with a hamstring strain. Manager Gabe Kapler said Ross Stripling has a good chance to move into the rotation. The Rockies reinstated Daniel Bard from the IL. Yoan Moncada is not expected to be back from the IL by the end of this week. He's been out with a back injury. Josh Donaldson has been pulled off his rehab assignment and underwent an MRI. MRI on his ailing right hamstring following a setback. Adam Wainwright threw three innings of, in his first rehab start at AA. He's 48% rostered. It's, you know, he's a, a deep league player. It's not much upside at this point. The Dodgers placed Miguel Rojas on the IL with a hamstring injury. Trevor May was placed on the IL with anxiety-related issues. His teammate, Danny Jimenez, was transferred to the 60-day IL. I don't know if the Oakland A's will ever get another save opportunity, but if they do... I think it's probably going to go to Zach Jackson, but that's just my guess. Oh, maybe they'll troll us all, and then they'll announce Mason Miller is going to be the closer. Oh, that would be the gosh. great troll. I mean, either way, I guess he'd have value for fantasy, right? So, yeah, that'd be fine. Uh, Hunter Gaddis was optioned to AAA. The Guardians could turn back to Gaddis to make starts in the future, or they can go with Tanner Bybee. So just another name to... Uh, Pay attention to there for prospects. Speaking of prospects, uh, Guardians called up Brian Rocchio for their doubleheader and then immediately sent him back down. So he's like kind of on the fringe. He's a name to know in case there's like an injury. I know Ahmed Rosario has been dealing with a back injury. So just remember the name that's spelled R-O-C-C-H-I-O. And Manuel Valdez was called up by the Red Sox, though it sounds like that could be temporary as well. He went two for four, also had an error in his debut. Let's get into some waiver wire hitters. Man, we have talked for 40 minutes. We have not talked about hitters at all on this podcast. So I do apologize, but I think there's a reason for that. I think deciphering pitcher changes this early in the season and velocity jumps and pitch mix changes and really figuring it out early on can set you up for the long term of the season. So I I think it makes sense to really focus on pitching this early in the season. Uh, Every start that a pitcher makes is more information than any given game for a hitter. Right, right. Uh, I think that's just the long and short of it. Some outfielders that could be available. Uh, Brandon Marsh is really hot to start the season so far. He went two for four with his third home run. He's batting 368 early on. We spoke about him last week, and I think his strikeout rate was around 20%. That has shot all the way up to 31%. He's still hitting the ball hard, but don't love those strikeouts for Brandon Marsh. Josh Lowe keeps playing well whenever he gets an opportunity. One for four with two RBI, two runs, and his third stolen base. Alec Thomas finally on the board with his first home run. He is batting 176. His expected batting average is 298. He is hitting the ball really hard, and he's not striking out, but a lot of that has been on the ground. So that's been the issue with Alec Thomas. Uh, Trevor Larnick hit his second home run, and Joey Gallo, first game back, two for five, hit his fourth home run. Uh, A lot of these names are widely available. Chris Towers, they all offer very different things. Uh, I'll ask you about points leagues, and then Welsh, I'll ask you about category leagues. Um, If you're looking to add one or two of these names in a points league, who stands out most to you? 
I don't necessarily love any of these guys in a points league, actually. I, I right. think they're all probably better in Roto. If I had to pick one, it would probably be Alec Thomas for points leagues just because the the plate discipline here is better than it is for anyone else. Um, Lo, Josh Lowe, if I thought he was going to play every single day, I'd be very excited because I really like what I've seen from him. But it just hasn't been the case for him, and it's the Rays, so I don't think it's going to be the case. Um so Alec Thomas, I really like the skill set. I really like what he's shown. He hits the ball hard. He's athletic. He doesn't strike out. It's just a lot of those things were true last season and the production wasn't there. For some reason, he's just struggled to figure it out. But his expected WOBA is 349. His actual WOBA, 234. That's a massive, massive gap. And, you know, playing half your games in Chase Field, it, guys tend to underperform their expected stats, but not by 120 points. So yeah. I think uh, I think Alec Thomas remains very interesting. And he's playing. He is playing a lot right now. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for volume, you could pick Alec Thomas up and, and hope he just keeps doing what he's doing and eventually the numbers will come. Welsh, for you, uh, any names here that stand out from a category Roto League perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said with Alec, you got to keep him in mind. The one thing I would add to that as well is the Diamondbacks are the fastest, you know, most running team in baseball. When they get on the base paths, they are going. Alec Thomas actually got called out for a, uh, a stolen base, I think, today or yesterday. I pretty much watch every game. So that's a guy he's going to keep running. And if you do see a mold of the batting average coming back up, he's going to get on base more, which will equal more stolen base opportunities. So I think that's good. I'm very interested in Brandon, uh, Brandon Lowe. The only thing is, is like, wait, wait, Brandon Marsh or Josh Lowe? Cause he said Brandon Lowe. Oh, did I? Well, I think that Brandon Lowe, actually there was Brandon Lowe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mix them both together. Josh Lowe is very fascinating because of the big counting stat numbers. The problem is, is the worry of consistent playing time. So I go back to Brandon Marsh and Brandon Marsh with like, he's going to play. He's going to keep going. I don't like the strikeout uptick, but the one thing I'm also trying to focus on is in very short sample sizes, these swing up and down and that, you know, we saw a lower uh, strikeout percentage a little bit early on that he can keep leveling this out. And I think that type of hot back can keep going. So he doesn't provide the stolen bases, but I think all three of these guys have a home. I just think Brandon Marsh is probably the most consistent. Alec Thomas actually probably has the best stolen base upside. And if Josh Lowe were given the opportunity, he's probably the most well-rounded. So, you know, pick and choose, uh, you know, follow your own journey there. If you need a catcher in a two-catcher league, Jonah Heim has been playing very well. He went two for four with his third home run. He added three RBI and three runs scored on Wednesday. He is batting 311. The plate discipline has been solid. He's hitting the ball hard. 38% rostered is Jonah Heim. Again, that's more for two-catcher leagues. And then in deeper formats, Towers, two names that stood out to me, Leody Tavares. We've shown, we've seen flashes at times. I think he's always been more of like a potential than actually like realized potential. Um, so far, but he went three for five with a double, triple, two runs, two RBI. Jaron Duran, very sneakily, is back with the Red Sox. He has started three straight games. He's got four hits and a stolen base during that time. So, you know, maybe he's made some adjust adjustments. He was someone we were excited about last year. Uh, we're talking like 15 team, five outfielder leagues, but uh, any interest in Leody Tavares or Jaron Duran? I like the way you phrased it. He's sneakily back with the Red Sox, like they didn't, like they didn't know. He had to like he climbed over the green monster and got in, Uh, got in on the laundry cart and just popped up. He's like, "Hey, everybody!" Yeah, Jaron Duran is a guy that I continue to be interested in. Um, 
you know, at triple a he's played 139 games total with 29 home run, 28 home runs and 36 steals. So there's clearly an interesting skill set. And if he shows anything, I'm going to be interested in him. So I'm, I'm probably more interested in him than Tavares. Although I don't know, you know, how long Duran's going to stay up. We've seen this countless times over the past couple of seasons. They'll call him up for a week, send him back down. So he's going to have to earn his spot, but, I think it's a really interesting skill set if he does figure it out. Some signs of life from the prospect. Zach Neto went two for three with two doubles. He was batting ninth on Wednesday. That was with everybody in the lineup. Taylor Ward leading off. Trout and Otani obviously were in there. And Eddie Julian. That's what they call him on the Twins broadcast. So I guess that's what we're going with. Um, He does not want to get sent down. (laughs) He showed that on Wednesday. He went three for four with his second home run. Two runs and two RBI in that game as well. The Pirates were awesome in Coors Field this past series. And I think I found the the Points League ad. Chris, if you need uh, an outfielder in a Points League. Andrew McCutcheon. Two for five with his fourth home run, more walks and strikeouts so far. He's, you know, he's sitting here and there because, you know, he's the veteran's day off or whatever. But given the plate discipline, I think he's got four home runs and three steals. He looks rejuvenated in a Pirates uniform. And I really like what I've seen so far in the deepest of leagues. Rodolfo Castro has got an everyday role now with O'Neill Cruz. He went two for six with his second home run. And he had like three batted balls over 95 miles an hour or two over 105, something like that. Obviously, you know, course field, but yeah, he had two, two batted balls over 105 miles an hour today. Rodolfo Castro did. Yeah. You know, Austin Gomber will do that, Chris. Uh, if, yeah, that's, if you, that's fair. If you go up against Austin Gomber, I'm pretty sure you'll get like a 100 EV off him or something <laughs> like that. Uh, Connor Joe, I'm going to mention the name again. Oh, Everyone knows Connor. I love Connor Joe three for five with a double three runs, four hard hit balls in that game has started seven of the last eight games for the Pirates. Just got his revenge series in there against the Rockies. He's 3% rostered. I think it's still mostly an NL only, but if he continues to play every day, might work his way into 15-team league discussion. So just remember, uh, let's pay attention to the playing time with Connor Joe. Let's take our final break, and when we return, uh, we got some Worryometer Wake Up, a player potentially to buy in Dynasty Leagues. We'll do that right after this. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, and we had a few players on the Worryometer yesterday that woke up in a pretty big way on Wednesday. Tommy Edmond, uh, he went three for four with his second home run, five RBI, three runs scored. He finished a single short of the cycle. It's always so interesting when that's the easiest one. I know, right? Well, what's happening? Uh, Juan Soto, uh, Juan Succo, sorry. Uh, He hurt us yesterday. He went two for four with his fourth home run of the season. The only run scored in that game between the Braves and the Padres. Jose Abreu, 
some good signs. Two for four with hit with two RBI in that game. Should you be looking to buy this player in Dynasty Welsh? I want to get your thoughts. Spencer Torkelson went two for three with a double, hit his second home run of the season, 109.8 exit velocity, 417 feet, and he's posting some pretty interesting numbers right now. He's hitting the ball hard. The distribution of his batted balls looks better than it did last year so far this season. It's still very cold in Detroit this time of year. So uh, I, I think, you know, as things start to heat up, maybe we could see the ball fly a little bit better there as well. What are your thoughts, man? I, I feel like Torkelson from a dynasty perspective is probably one of the hardest young players to figure out. I agree. And, you know, Pulling back the curtain, uh, Frankie and I were talking about this a little bit because, uh, and I think Scott and I did this in the offseason, we're both still a little bit, and I think I'm speaking for him a little bit, still interested in Spencer Torkelson and still kind of want to buy in. I think it's too early to completely have written him off. He's in the uh, Max EV 87, uh, top 13 percentile, um, top at least 50 percentile, 60, I guess, 35 percentile in hard hit numbers. That's still there. He's made some improvements off of last year. The ZV numbers are up. He's whiffing a lot less, throwing, showing a little bit more speed. I mean, he's just he's trying to get there. He's got a 245 expected batting average as well. If we were to get a 245 batting average consistently through the year, I really do think there's a possibility that Spencer Torkelson could tap into 25 plus power on this bad team. That's I still believe in this guy. I still believe who he is. You've also seen seen a decrease in his strikeout percentage, which is mm-hmm. a plus. So I want to be a believer that he is a cheap option in 15 plus dynasties that you can still go out and and I don't know if you want to do the one for one we were talking about, but like I think Torkelson is in a really sneaky spot where like there are some prospects that are poking around in the majors are close that you could probably get Torkelson for or even less in league. So I think the power numbers are real and I think he's starting to make those improvements. It might just take another year or two, but you know, watch out, watch out. You get 20 plus homers and a serviceable batting average from Torkelson this year. Something that's very interesting with his plate discipline as well is uh, according to fan graphs, his chase rate is nearly 42% league average is around 30%. So he is chasing a ton of pitches his swinging strike rate has not gone up. It's the same as it was last year. So I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, but the fact that he's being more aggressive and he's not swinging and missing more and his strikeout rate has actually come down, I, I think that's a good thing. So I don't know. I've, I like what I've seen from Torkelson under the hood a little bit so far. In redraft, I think you get him for probably dirt cheap, right? Like dirt probably cheap. a free agent in most leagues. Um, yeah. And in Dynasty, I, I still think Torkelson is pretty interesting. So don't give up yet. Let's get into some leftovers. A few pitchers worth mentioning. Drew Rasmussen, solid at the Reds. Five shutouts, seven strikeouts. We know that he could pitch well against bad teams, but uh, can he do it against the good ones? His only real test this year was against the Blue Jays, and he pitched poorly in that outing. So uh, I think that remains to be seen. Alex Cobb was solid at the Marlins. Five innings, one run, eight strikeouts for him. Noah Syndergaard now has a quality start in three of four outings. Revenge game against those Mets. Six innings, two runs, two strikeouts for him. And uh, the overall numbers still look really bad because his one blow up was like a blow up. It was bad. But three quality starts outside of that. I'm kind of encouraged by Noah Syndergaard. Chris, it seems like you want to say something. Yeah, I don't don't know, man. So like Noah Syndergaard, like... If you had told me three years ago, four years ago, that Noah Syndergaard would be Kyle Hendricks now, <laughs> I I would not. Because like that's basically the profile right now. He's had 
unbelievably good control. He's his changeup is awesome. It's basically his only swing and miss pitch, and he's giving up no hard contact. But he's also not getting strikes. He's not strikeouts. He's not getting swings and misses. It's just a weird, weird profile. And he might be able to make it work. Look, it's possible that Noah Syndergaard can keep this up and you know keep the walks down and be a useful pitcher for fantasy. But it's just weird. It's just it's it's boggling my mind, and I don't know what to do about it. Something he has been good at so far is limiting hard contact. I think mm-hmm. that's. It's harder to, like, you need a bigger sample for something like that yes. to stabilize, so we just don't know if we can actually trust it yet. But entering Wednesday, his swinging strike rate was 12.3%. He didn't get much in this start, but 12.3%, I mean, that's, that's actually pretty good. So, uh, I don't know. I, I remain confused. That's the word I'll use on Noah Syndergaard. Justin Steele is now 4 for 4 in quality starts. This one at the Oakland A's. Six innings, two runs, five strikeouts for him. And Charlie Morton has now turned in back-to-back quality starts at the Padres. Six innings, one run, five strikeouts for him. Welsh, anything that stands out from this group? Morton, Steele, Syndergaard, Cobb, Rasmussen. Um, well, right. You know, it's funny uh, in uh, betting a little bit. I actually want to say Rasmussen might have had a similar swinging strike percentage as Noah Syndergaard. I want to say it was around the 12s as well. So just throwing that out there. Uh, Justin Steele. Justin Steele, again, is just a big old red baseball savant page as far as like the hard hits. He's not giving up. He's still striking guys out, which you love to see. Uh, it's a career high K percentage currently with a career low walk percentage. Uh, his expected ERA, his ERA is, you know, stupid. It's like one, four, two, but his expected is just around three. He just really is one of those like sneaky, I don't want to call him an ace, you know, because he's not like a top 30 pitcher, but he's just one of those guys that's going to put up some big, big performances. The Cubs have been playing a little bit better and uh, I'm very much into Justin Steele. And for anyone who's skeptical about Justin Steele being a two pitch pitcher, his fastball is in the 83rd percentile in spin rate. So that's something that helps it play up and it's, not to the same level as Christian Javier, but that's kind of what it reminds me of is you got this deceptive fastball, high spin, and then you have a really good slider to go along with it. And that is how Justin Steele is succeeding right now. And he's using it more. He's using it more this year. We, I mean, you, you talk about all of that, those spin numbers. He is using that 56% last year. He's up to 60% this year, and it's a 26% whiff rate. And he's doing all of this as a two-pitch pitcher. This is like, you know, not as talented Spencer Strider type of stuff. This is fastball slider, fastball slider. But he's got up almost 40% whiff rate on his slider right now. So, I mean... He's getting it done in a probably non-traditional way that you really want, like in two pitch pitchers, but that fastball plays up in a bunch of different areas that it's also making that slider even more effective. Some hitting leftovers. Jeremy Pena went one for three with a sock and a shoe. Third home run and fifth steal of the season. He is batting just 211 early on, but at least he is giving you that power and speed. Whip Merrifield went two for three with a double and an RBI, and I heard on the Blue Jays broadcast that Witt has earned everyday playing time. The first couple of weeks, he was playing like four or five times per week, but he's batting over 300. They like what they've seen. Whit Merrifield's going to play every day moving forward. Yandy Diaz <laughs> looks like he's kind of breaking out. Two for four with his sixth home run. He had nine all of last season. He already has six. The exit velocity, 114.5 off the bat. That's back-to-back home runs, uh, back-to-back games with a home run for Yandy Diaz with the improved launch angle. Uh, Towers, Someone asked me, would would I drop Cattell Marte or Miguel Vargas for Yandy Diaz? Hmm. And I kind of struggled. And 
I said no, but I don't know if that is the right answer. And then, of course, I had a, a Twitter warrior, a Twitter fantasy analyst say, oh, what are you talking about? You have to pick up Yandy Diaz. I'm like, Cattell Marte has a pretty extensive track record. His best has been better than anything we've seen from Yandy Diaz. And Miguel Vargas is a top prospect. So, no, I'm, I'm not going to drop those guys for him. I might do yeah. it for Miguel. It's, not it's like we talked about yesterday. This might be your only chance to get uh, Yandy Diaz. And if it is a breakout, the risks of not adding him are probably greater than the risks of dropping Miguel Vargas. Because until Miguel Vargas starts to hit, he's not necessarily going to get added. And so I, I think it's a situation where you might be able to pull that off. I'm, I don't know. I'm really struggling with that one because I believe in Cattell Marte and Miguel Vargas, but what Yandy Diaz is doing right now, like we said yesterday, if he was breaking out, it would look exactly like this. And so I wish Cattell Marte still ran. That's the one. That's <laughs> the too. one thing I did. I was watching the game. Um, I think it was yesterday's game and he was on first and he just had his hands on his knees and he wasn't moving. I, and they yeah. did that shot where you can like look to the first baseman. And that was a moment where I was like, wow, this is, this team is running at all costs. There's no chance that Except guy is him, yeah. He is not moving whatsoever. <laughs> Those numbers are not coming. Those stolen base numbers are not coming. Yeah, I feel like Cattell Marte's hamstrings are like, when you see in a movie, it's like a rope is about to break and it's yeah. hanging by like just that one thread. Like Those are Cattell Marte's hamstrings. So he's just like, nah, I'm not going to risk it. Trey Turner had his first real breakout game with the Phillies. He went three for five with a sock and a shoe as well. His first home run, his fourth steal. He's batting 321 early on. Brandon Nimmo, awesome game. He went five for five with his first home run of the season. 110 exit velocity, 431 feet for the home run. Anthony Volpe went two for four. I actually think it's Volpe, and I keep saying Volpe, and it's probably... I, I'm just messing. I heard the announcers do it three different ways. I've I've heard yeah. them do Volpe, Volpe. I've I've don't don't kick yourself, Frank. Yeah, he went two for four with a walk and his eighth stolen base. Again, it's like patience. You know, it's going to take some time. And in five games in the leadoff spot, he has five hits, a home run, and two steals. And even with Lemayhew healthy now, they're batting Volpe in the leadoff spot, and he's performing well. So you know, one thing I do want to go back to is Nimmo does have three steals which matches his total from last season. Uh, that is interesting. You know, we, we, we know he loves to run to first base, but now he's <laughs> also starting to run uh, to second. And he's actually a good athlete, 87th percentile sprint speed, uh, 84th percentile last year. So it's possible that he could be like a 15 steel guy. And I think I said before the season, I would find him a lot more interesting if he was a 15 steel guy, because he's going to give you pretty good on, uh, average, great on base percentage and like 10 to 15 homers. But without the speed, it's like, that's a pretty middling profile. All of a sudden, if he can steal 10 to 15 bases, now you're talking about a four category contributor. So I, I that's something to keep an eye on with, with Brandon Nemo. And his stack cast page is covered in red too. So yeah, he is maybe a buy high right now on Brandon Nimmo. 15-15. He was one of, I think, 10 hitters with 100-plus runs scored last year. Mm-hmm. If he stays on the field... He got like 111, didn't he? He's, he's going to be a productive player. If he steals more, he might have more runs. Yeah. Aaron Judge went one for three with two walks and his sixth home run. I don't know if you guys saw it. Awesome moment in the, in the first yeah. inning of that game. He robbed Shohei Otani of a home run in the top of the first. 
And then in the bottom of the first, he hit a two-run home run. It was. I'm, I'm officially going to say he's in the lead for the MVP race now. Yeah, let's go. Robbed a home run from his primary competitor and then <laughs> hit one. So that, that's that his version of being a two-way player. Exactly. That's his yeah. Otani version. Gotcha. Has to do that 29 times. Uh, just okay, imagine if he it. hit the home run off of Otani. Oh gosh. Oh, Twitter well, would have lost that, yeah, its mind. It would have. Let's get into some bullpen updates for the Royals. Scott Barlow pitched in the ninth inning down six runs at the time. He gave up three more runs. His ERA is 9.45. I think we are firmly in the Aroldis Chapman camp at this point. For the Phillies, a three-run lead. Gregory Soto pitched in the seventh. Craig Kimbrell in the eighth. Jose Alvarado in the ninth. That is saves on back-to-back days for Alvarado. You need to add this guy. If you need saves, 34% rostered. I think he has 19 strikeouts to zero walks so far this season. One of you guys gave me credit for adding him uh, yesterday in the Dynasty League. I, and I, I know, I, I, I know exactly what you're going <laughs> I so. looked at your team. I'm like, Chris, why didn't you start yeah. Alvarado? Yeah. So, uh, you so, done so much for that. <laughs> for the Mets, David Robertson got the eighth inning with a two-run lead facing the top of the Dodgers lineup. He allowed one run. Adam Ottavino got the ninth with a three-run lead. Also allowed one run. He picked up his third save. All of a sudden, David Robertson is clearly in the fireman role, like the biggest spot in the game, they are going to pitch Robertson out of the bullpen. And then that means it's going to be out of, getting more saves as well. So uh, I think both of these guys have value for fantasy right now for the Brewers. Devin Williams was unavailable. Matt Bush got the final two outs for his first save. And then the regulars, Emmanuel class, a got his sixth save for the giants. Camilo Duvall pitched in the ninth with the game tied Taylor Rogers. That was an iffy one. He, he nearly blew that one for the giants. Uh, he's had multiple appearances like that so far this yeah. season as well. Uh, the only issue is his main competition, Taylor Rogers, has looked quite bad so far this season yeah. uh, as well. For the Padres, Josh Hader walked one but picked up his fifth save. Let's wrap up with to stream or not to stream, and we will start with Thursday. Kent Maeda at the Red Sox. Uh Sure. Silence is deafening. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, I, the towers goes first. I, towers goes first. Me. That's our, our rhythm. Fair enough. Uh, Tanner Houck versus the Twins. No. Nope. Luke Weaver at the Pirates. Nope. No. Jamison Tyone versus the Dodgers. I Not the worst one, but no. Nope. Michael Waka at the Diamondbacks. Nah. nah I'm not going to fall for it again. No. Rowanzi Contreras versus the Reds. Nope. I would. I, I could do that. Yeah. Reds Strike on the outs. road. I, I think it's okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, Matt Strom versus the Rockies. Uh, no. That one's out of Colorado? Yeah, it's in Philadelphia. Oh, first yeah. first start Strom. away from Coors Field. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, Matt Strom. I'm a Matt Strom guy. You get you get Matt Strom out there. There's <laughs> another there's six six strikeouts guaranteed. All right. Uh, <laughs> very specific number. I love it. Uh, Ryan Nelson versus the Padres. I wouldn't. Oh, nope. Complete fail on my part. Gosh, it's the end of the podcast. It's Fernando Tatis Day. He's back. Oh my God, yeah. Gosh, what a fail. God. It uh, is Tatis Day. No, uh, wait. I apologize. Uh-oh. <laughs> is that one guy in the chat telling us that uh, Fernando Tatis is going to hit 230 <laughs> this year with 10 home runs or whatever it is? You know what we should do, Frank? Whatever his home run prop is tomorrow, smashing. Yeah, let, let's, smashing whatever it is. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, right. Sh- Sean Manaya versus the Mets. Nah. No. And uh, Michael Grove at the Cubs. Nope. No, sir. On Friday, Yusei Kikuchi at the Yankees. Gosh, it could go well, but I can't do it. Also going to pass. Drew Smiley versus the Dodgers. Nope. Nope. Mitch Keller versus the Reds. Yes. 
I could, again, I'll pick on it. I'll go with Mitch Kelly, yes. Tyler Wells versus the Tigers. Nah. Nope. Braxton Garrett at the Guardians. He's my second favorite here, but, you know, don't love it. Pass. J.P. Sears at the Rangers. <laughs> nah. No. Seth Lugo at the Diamondbacks. Lugo might actually be my second favorite. Yeah, he's he's kind of my second up. favorite to say no to. Yeah, nope. <laughs> he's uh he's been up and down. And Steven Matz at the Mariners. Nope. Mm, sure no. All right, for Towers and the Welsh, I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. takes the stand in the new documentary as we speak rap music on trial now streaming exclusively on paramount plus rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases every song every lyric every video that you've ever been involved with they're going to use against you follow rap artist kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system this artistic expression is a confession i'm ready roll the tape watch the eye-opening new documentary as we speak rap music on trial exclusively on paramount plus head to paramount plus.com to try it free terms apply